Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, uh, come check us out if you don't have a home church. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about us, about the church, by visiting the website, which is calvary316.com. Again, that is calvary316.com. I do hope you stay with me wherever you're listening over the next hour, give or take, as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly, brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. If you're unable to listen to the entirety of today's episode, let's say you're listening on the radio, you're driving it in your car, don't lose heart. You can leave the episode at any point. Go to our podcast. The easiest way to get to our podcast, go to outlawradio.org. Uh, our podcast, it's available on iTunes, Google Play. Quick links available, again, outlawradio.org. And what the podcast allows you to do is uh, to listen to this episode in its entirety. And so if you're listening in the car, on the radio, you're not able to listen to all of it. You can only listen to part of today's episode. But it intrigues you enough that you want the full story. Uh, don't worry. Don't lose heart. Check out the podcast. Again, iTunes, Google Play, really, however... Uh, you consume podcasting. Very, very cool uh, technology. I, I should also mention that every episode of the Outlaw Radio Show um, is podcasted. And so in addition to this episode, uh, all of our episodes uh, you'll find on the podcast, and you can listen at your leisure, at your pace, at your time. Um, and setting up the stage for what I want to talk about today, if you were to harmonize the Gospels, the Gospel records. And the Gospels, in case you're unaware, uh, is comprised of four books written by four people intertwined through the Holy Spirit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you harmonize their accounts of the life of Jesus, specifically harmonizing their records concerning the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, you'll discover that by the time you get to the story we're going to look at today, which will, will be founded in, in John 20, verse 19, Jesus has appeared to quite a few people. He's appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He then appears to a group of ladies that Mary had originally come to the garden with earlier that morning to finish the burial process. Uh, Jesus has appeared to two unnamed disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Such a cool story in and of itself. At some point, again, the harmonizing of the accounts indicates that, that Jesus has had a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with Simon Peter at an undisclosed location somewhere in Jerusalem. We know the conversation happened. We have no record of what the subject matter was. Oh, to have been a fly on that wall. John, uh, the Apostle John, he hasn't encountered the resurrected Jesus for himself, uh, but he is already convinced, according to John 20, verse 8, that the resurrection indeed took place solely based on the evidence that he discovered in the empty tomb. If you examine the passage, John, when he sees the, the way the burial clothes were, were, were laid, and, and et cetera, et cetera, he, he saw it, he believed, he had faith. Though the list of those who had encountered Jesus was growing rapidly this Sunday, the Sunday of the resurrection, uh, nine of the eleven disciples are still very skeptical of the resurrection by the evening. Really, only Peter and John have had any real genuine interactions with these things. Mary, the other women, they've brought a report mid-morning. And yet, Luke 24, verse 11 tells us that nine of the 11 men, the words that they were hearing seemed like idle tales. They did not believe. Even when the two disciples who'd encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus hurry back to Jerusalem, find these nine men, recount their experience, in addition to Peter's testimony. Mark chapter 16, verse 13 says that these nine men still did not believe. And, and it's with that backdrop that something amazing happens. It's kind of the, the backdrop for a narrative that begins in verse 19 of John chapter 20. I'll, let me read it for you. We're told then the same day at evening, so the day of resurrection at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, a rumor had been circulating that they had stolen the body, John recounts how Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace, shalom, 
be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, the scars in his hands and his side where the sword had pierced. The disciples were told were, were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, peace to you. As the Father had sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, we're told that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, there's so much you could talk about and this exchange that these men have with the resurrected Jesus. But this sets the stage for what I want to discuss today, and that really finds itself established here in verse 24, where we're told, so they had this incredible experience, we're told then, now Thomas, uh, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared. And the other disciples therefore said to Thomas, we've seen the Lord... And so Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, I think think it's a tragic mischaracterization that this particular disciple has been nicknamed by theologians since really about the 5th century as Doubting Thomas. How would you like for centuries to be known in such a negative connotation? The fact is, I don't believe it's it's really accurate. I don't think it's an accurate, accurate characterization to call him Doubting Thomas. I don't think it's accurate of the man. I don't even think it's a fair presentation of really the passage we just read. C- consider a few things here. In John 11, verse 16, we read that when facing the prospects of Jesus being in serious danger if he went to Jerusalem. So this is before Jesus has even gone to Jerusalem for Passover. John eleven sixteen, we read that Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go, that we may die with him. Thomas, he, at first he's called the twin, why? Well, depending on what translation you read this passage, you'll notice that twin, the word twin, is capitalized. What's indicated is not that, that Thomas had a twin, but that Thomas really bore an interesting physical resemblance to Jesus, that Thomas, in many ways, was kind of Jesus's twin. He looked like Jesus. And no doubt, knowing that the prospects of going to Jerusalem were dire, that there was a plot against Jesus, that he had serious enemies, Jesus articulating, we're going, Thomas concluding, let's do it. Knowing that if anyone was going to was gonna take the fall, it would likely be him because he looked like Jesus. My point is that Thomas, very early on, establishes that he's not a doubter. Nor was he a man that was shifty in his convictions. I mean, he had come to Jerusalem prepared to die for Jesus if that's what was required. Now, for some unspecified reason that John fails to provide us, Thomas, he inadvertently finds himself the lone disciple absent for this incredible supernatural appearance of Jesus. Jesus appears, this incredible exchange. Jesus leaves. Thomas returns to the upper room only to find that the other disciples are ecstatic about what they had just seen, what they had encountered. I mean, let's be real for a minute. That stinks, man. Like, have you ever been the one person who missed the moment or or the joke that everyone is going on and on and on and on about? Like, you, you kind of, you laugh along, you smile, but you're lost. And the more and more that happens, the more and more they go on talking about things, the more frustrating you get. You get Like, not only is Thomas now the only disciple, imagine that, he's the only disciple who's yet to have a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Aside from the disciples, the, these 11 men, all of the women disciples have also encountered Jesus and these two unnamed dudes on the road to to Emmaus. And now his friends won't shut up about it. He's the one man out. Now, in the Greek, the the tense that we find in this statement, that the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord, in the tense, it's it's active, it's continual, (laughs) it's obnoxious. Like the idea being articulated is that the disciples... It's not just that they tell Thomas, bro, you'll never believe what you missed, man. Jesus was here. That's what he said. He blew on us. The Holy Spirit filled us. But they go on and on and on and on and on 
about what Thomas missed, as if it were his fault. It's obvious that when Thomas finally responds to them, he's frustrated. Like, it's not that he responds after the initial word of what he missed. He responds when he's had enough. He's frustrated. And in his frustration, he says, again, unless I see Jesus' hands and put my finger into the print of the nails and in his side, I will not believe. Now, again, there are those who are critical of Thomas's outburst here. And yet, I want to challenge you to think about this maybe just a little differently. What's Thomas supposed to do? Like, like really, what, what's he supposed to say? Is he supposed to be like, oh man, that's awesome, guys. And now I'm going to base my entire belief in the resurrection of Jesus off an experience that you had, but I didn't. Like, like really? Like, I don't, I don't even believe that Thomas is doubting Jesus' resurrection And I'm not even so sure that he's voicing a skepticism as to the testimony and the experience that his friends have just had. Instead, I think, and again, this is a different way of viewing the story, but that Thomas is actually making a declaration as to what his faith in Jesus' resurrection actually necessitated. Like, it's not that he's, he's demonstrating a lack of faith. I think his outburst is, is articulating a desire I want to see Jesus for myself. I want to see the, the, the prince in his hands. I want to touch. I want to feel like he's adamant. And don't miss this because it's, it's essential. But Thomas here, he's adamant that his faith would not be based on the experience of another person, even when that person was trusted. Like he, these were his friends. You see, Thomas, his faith mandated a personal encounter with the risen Lord. And, and I don't think you can fault the man for that. You know, the, the reason that I believe it's, it's misguided to characterize Thomas as being a doubter, doubting Thomas, centers on the fact that really the truth is his perspective. It's absolutely right. It's correct. Let me pivot by asking a question. Like, I hope that your faith in Jesus is not based upon someone else's encounter or relationship with Jesus. And the reason that I bring that up is that in the Bible Belt culture of the American South, where I'm from, this is very relevant because so many people have a faith in Jesus by extension. Like, I want you to hear me very clearly. Faith in Jesus, the faith of your parents, cannot be bequeathed to you. Friend, you aren't born into a faith in Jesus. Faith is not hereditary. Christian faith isn't even passed through marital extension. In fact, growing up in a Christian home no more makes you a Christian than living in a garage makes you a car. Like cultural Christianity isn't Christianity at all. Being an American doesn't make you a Christian. Being a patriotic, freedom-loving, flag-toting, gun-carrying, Fox News-watching American will not garner you passage through the pearly gates. Thomas rightly understood that genuine faith required a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And it's this point that I want to spend the rest of our episode unpacking further. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, It is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. 
Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm talking about this man, Doubting Thomas, and I hate the classification, this description, Doubting Thomas. I think it's unfair. The scene, Jesus appears to the disciples post-resurrection. It's an amazing thing. He breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. The only dude not in the room is Thomas. Jesus appears, interacts with the disciples. Jesus disappears. Thomas comes right back into the upper room. Yo, guys, what's up? And they're like, you'll never believe what you missed. And they go on and on and on and on and on about it. He's like the only guy now that hasn't encountered Jesus for himself. And so he finally gets to this point. He's like, no, I won't believe until... Now, people want to try to, to, to characterize Thomas as doubting the resurrection of Jesus. No, I think he's just expressing a desire that I want to encounter Jesus for myself. I can't believe until I encounter Jesus for myself. You see, Thomas, he understood that a genuine faith demanded a personal encounter. Like, faith is not something that is given to you. It's, it's not something that you marry into, that you have because your parents have it. Like, Thomas wouldn't settle this point. He was adamant. He was passionate. Thomas needed to encounter the risen Jesus for himself if he was to be- believe. And I don't see any problems with that. Now, in John chapter 20, we're told that after eight days, the following Sunday, the disciples were again inside, but now Thomas was with them. And you can imagine, it's been a long week for poor Thomas. But then we're told that Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and he said, peace. Same message he articulated the week before. Then Jesus turns to Thomas and he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving. This word unbelieving, it's faithless, but believing or persuaded in the Greek. So Thomas answered, he responded to this exhortation. He says, my Lord, my Kyrios, my Christ, my Savior, and my God, my Theos. Thomas knew correctly that his faith needed more than the testimony of his friends. His faith needed a personal encounter with Jesus to be its foundation. And what I love is that Jesus was more than willing to oblige. Like, like not only does Jesus appear again to the disciples, but, but he makes sure Thomas is there with them. And, and then, I love this, Jesus repeats Thomas's words back to him, meaning that Jesus was still in the room a week before when Thomas arrived, though they couldn't see him. And Jesus says, Thomas, you know, a week ago you said you needed to touch, you needed to feel that you needed a personal encounter to believe? Well, I heard you, and here I am. Is this enough to convince you? For Thomas, the appearance of the risen Jesus, this invitation to reach and to look, it, it was, man, it was more than enough. Like, he should be given credit for that. Like, case in point, Thomas before was like, I need to touch, I need to feel, but now we have no record of Thomas actually touching Jesus' hands are touching his side. Thomas didn't need to. His faith was secure. He encountered Jesus. All that he needed. Now he declares Jesus his Lord and his God. It was personal. Presbyterian minister and author Frederick Buncher, he once wrote that it hardly matters how the body of Jesus came to be missing Because in the last analysis, what convinced the people that he had risen from the dead was not the absence of his corpse, but his living presence. And so it has been ever since. Thomas knew a personal encounter with Jesus was essential. And the moment that happened, it changed his life and the trajectory of his life forever. According to the testimony of several of the early church fathers, the evidence suggests that around 52 A.D., 
during the first wave of Christian persecution. You, you can read about this in Acts chapter 8. This is the first wave initiated by a man named Saul of Tarsus. He would become Paul. But it was during this first wave of persecution, a lot of people started leaving Jerusalem. In, in fact, you read about uh, a, a man named Philip who goes into Samaria. Well, according to church fathers, Thomas also leaves Jerusalem, and he sails east, beyond the reach of Rome, into India, no doubt carrying the message of the gospel. And for 20 years, he ministers to the Indian people, faithful. On July 7th, 72 AD, 20 years later, After ministering to the people of India, Thomas would would be martyred for his faith. In fact, according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs, he would die by being thrust through with a spear. Thomas' faith was rightly founded upon a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and therefore that faith never wavered even when he faced death. Not only does Thomas leave behind a powerful legacy, during his own day. But this is what blows my mind. In India today, there are still a group of believers known as the St. Thomas Christians who trace their origins all the way back to the initial work started by this man. I want to tell you, if you're listening, and I, I don't know who you are, but if your friends have been constantly telling you about their own personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus... They've been witnessing to you. And your response to their witness has been something similar to Thomas. <laughs> That's great for you, man. But until I encounter Jesus for myself, I can't believe the way that you do. I want you to know that if that's your reaction, there are a few things from Thomas's experience that I want you to consider for just a minute, if you would. First, This reaction to your Christian friends that you have to encounter Jesus for yourself to believe, I want you to know that that is absolutely 100% completely reasonable. Like in truth, I'd say it's totally responsible, logical, even biblical. As Ravi Zacharias once said, what I believe in my heart must make sense in my mind. Atheist Richard Dawkins once quipped, Faith is the great cop-out. He said it's the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith, according to Dawkins, is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. The irony of the statement is that in Hebrews 11 verse 1, the very concept of faith is defined as being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's no question, Richard Dawkins didn't consult the Bible for his definition of faith. You see, never once, and please know this, friend, never once, never, ever, ever, ever will the Holy Spirit demand from you a blind or unfounded faith. Never once will Jesus just command you to believe. Just believe, man, just believe. According to the Bible itself, there are two components totally necessary for genuine faith, substance and evidence. The core issue when it comes to faith in Jesus, it's often not a lack of evidence, I have found, or a lack of substance to the belief. Rather, if we're being honest, the issue eventually boils down to desire. It's not a lack of evidence, it's a lack of desire. More often than not, The skepticism of one's mind is nothing more than the masking of the hardness of one's heart. The key with Thomas, first and foremost, is that he wanted to believe. Do you? Do you want to believe in Jesus? And the second point I want to make is that if you sincerely want to believe and you know that that belief necessitates an encounter with the resurrected Jesus for yourself in the same way as Thomas, let me encourage you. Well, keep hanging around friends who've already encountered Jesus. Like, did you notice 
from this story how the radical moment that would change Thomas's life forever began? John tells us, he says, after eight days, Jesus' disciples were again inside the upper room, and Thomas was with them. Think about that. Thomas ends up having a personal encounter with Jesus, one he longed to have. When did he have it? On Sunday, as he's hanging out with his believing friends. Like, do you think it's an accident? Do you think this is a coincidence? Thomas does something wise. He hung out with people who had what he wanted. I, I have found that one of the best places for a genuine seeker to encounter the risen Jesus for the first time tends to be at church with believers, and yes, on Sunday. And here's why this is the case. Even though we can't see Jesus, anytime his disciples are gathered together, the Bible tells us that he's always spiritually standing in their midst. In the vision of his present activity in Revelation 1, John sees Jesus walking in the midst of the seven churches, the, the, the golden lamp stands. <laughs> if, if there was any question, Jesus was with them, even when he wasn't seen by them, all doubt was removed when he quotes back almost verbatim to Thomas what Thomas had said one week earlier. Here's my point, and it's rather simple. It's only logical that if you want to encounter Jesus, you should go where Jesus tends to be and hang out with those Jesus is often with. Now we're going to come back, we're going to build on this thought, but I do want you to know that if what I'm saying strikes a chord, we want to hear from you. Feedback, listener feedback is very important. Let me highlight just three ways you can reach out to us. First, our email address, info at outlawradio.org. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And we're also on Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. All three of these modes for communication can easily be accessed via our website, which is outlawradio.org. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here with the Outlaw Radio Show. We've all heard it before. You ask a person if they know Jesus as their personal savior, and they respond, well, my grandpa was a pastor, or I go to church on Sunday. Today, Pastor Zach is unpacking the idea that there is a difference between religion and a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus. So stay tuned for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Today, Pastor Zach is sharing an interesting take on Doubting Thomas, a person we're all familiar with from the Bible. Here's Zach with more. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm talking about Thomas, this man that historically is known as Doubting Thomas. I think that's a, a sad mischaracterization. All he wanted was an encounter with Jesus for himself. The, 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 the you... I mean, that's the first kind of question of the, the, the first application to the story. Uh, Thomas has an encounter with Jesus. It changed his world, changed the trajectory of his life. But he had one with Jesus because he wanted one. And aside from the desire, he also does something very smart, wise. He hangs out with people who had what he wanted. You know, if you want to encounter Jesus, it's just smart that you go to where Jesus tends to be and hang out with those he's often with. Thomas encountered Jesus because he was hanging out with those who had already encountered Jesus on Sunday at church. Very cool. But let me kind of add here a kind of a sub point to this. If you're a believer listening to this, this episode, and let's say you're ministering to a seeker at work, a neighbor, someone on the ball team, someone that doesn't know Jesus, and you're ministering, you're witnessing to them, you're telling them about Jesus, about the experience, the encounter you had with the resurrected Lord, and they're kind of like, yeah, cool, yeah, okay. And finally, it's almost like, man, like, like that's cool for you, but until I encounter Jesus for myself, man, it's just hard for me to believe. If that's you, you're ministering to a seeker because Jesus is often revealed at church. 
never underestimate the power of bringing that person with you to church on Sunday. Again, if someone wants to encounter Jesus, bring them to where Jesus hangs out and with those he hangs out with. Now, sure, I understand God's work is not restricted to one day of the week or a church facility. My neighbor gave his life to Jesus in my garage while it was pouring down rain late one evening. But my point is, is that Sunday at church is kind of a good place to start. Like Thomas was with believers on Sunday. And Jesus then broke through the void and revealed himself to the one man that was there who needed it most. You know, while it's safe to assume cultural trends have likely worsened over the last 15 years, back in 2003, Dr. Tom Rainier published some groundbreaking research in a book titled The Unchurched Next Door. And from his research, two realities of church life and evangelism were highlighted. First, his research found that nearly 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. Secondly, Rainier found that 98% of church members never invite an unchurched person to church. (laughs) A recent report by Lifeway even discovered a direct link between how often a person attends church and how likely they are to extend an invitation. here's, Here's the problem. 82% of people that don't go to church are like, yeah, I'll go to church if I'm invited, but only 2% of church members ever invite those people to church. It's a terrible mathematical equation. According to a recent study published by George Barna, founder of the Barna Group, about 50% of all decisions to come to Christ were driven by someone with a close personal relationship with the individual, a relative or a friend. And what's sad is the same study also discovered that 39% of Christians feel as though evangelism is never their responsibility. Again, going back to Barna, he noted, quote, fewer churches emphasize and equip people for evangelism these days, and the results are obvious and undeniable. The implications of ignoring gospel outreach are enormous. All the, quote, church growth strategies in the world cannot compensate for the absence of an enthusiastic transmission of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for humanity. Like, like in light of, of these stats, let me, let me ask, who are you currently witnessing to? Like, like, who are you, Christian, presently sharing your faith with? Anyone? Like, how many people at your job even know you're a Christian? Or when was the last time you invited someone to come to church with you on Sunday? Please understand, the Great Commission was not a grand suggestion. The Great Commission is our our calling, our purpose, it's our mission. Finally, if Thomas, if like Thomas, you are sincere in your desire to encounter Jesus personally, regardless of how maybe the church fails, if you are sincere in that desire, like I want to just provide you a simple exhortation, get ready to meet Jesus soon. And the reason I can say that with complete confidence is that no one seeking Jesus has ever, ever in the history of the planet failed to find him. And here's why. Man, Jesus is terrible at hide and seek. <laughs> Think about it this way. I have little kids. Quincy, Theo, Mabel. You know, when you play hide and seek with little kids, like who really finds who? Like the seeker or the person they're seeking? Daddy, 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 daddy. We want to play hide and seek. Okay, okay, I'm going to count to 10. You guys go hide. And they run and they're terrible at hiding. And then I get up and I'm like, oh no, where's Quincy? Where's Theodore? Like, yeah, it's, it's your responsibility to seek them out, right? But because kids experience more joy when they're discovered, what do they do? They will do everything they can to be found by you. In fact, the only way a child isn't discovered 
is if you fail to seek them. You know, in much the same way, here's an exhortation. Thomas was seeking after Jesus. All of his friends had had an encounter. He wanted that encounter for himself. He genuinely wanted to experience the person of Jesus, the resurrected Christ in a personal way, which is why he stayed connected with those people who had. And what I find amazing is that in the end, it was Jesus who appeared to a seeking Thomas. Again, no one seeking Jesus has ever failed to find him because Jesus loves to be found. Now, some very cool thoughts about this story. But one of the core ideas, and this is what we're going to spend the remainder of our time discussing, is the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus. Again, and maybe this is not super applicable to wherever you live, but for me in the Bible Belt, so many people have a faith in Jesus by extension. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, why? Well, I go to church. Well, that doesn't make you a, a Christian any more than living in a garage makes you a car. Well, no, no, but, but I'm a Christian because, you know, uh, my parents were Christians. My great-grandparents were Christians. Well, okay. Well, that's great for them, but your faith isn't hereditary. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christian. Oh, well, well I'm a Christian because, uh, man, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of red, white, and blue. <laughs> well, while maybe Islamic radicals perceive all Americans as being Christian, simply being a an American doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is a personal encounter with Jesus that changes everything. What makes you a Christian is meeting Jesus personally. You know, I recently did an episode where I was discussing uh, the, the fall of Joshua Harris, this Christian author who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye and how he's recanted his faith. He's walked away from the Lord and I read a tweet by Eric Metaxas that, uh, that I, I found to be very interesting. He, he says, you know, I just don't get the whole walking away from your faith thing. If your faith is based in an encounter with a person, how do you walk away from an encounter with a person? Like you encounter Jesus. You're like how silly it is. You're walking away from Jesus. See, sadly, so many people walk away from the faith. It's because their faith was based in all of the wrong things, things you actually can walk away from. It's hard to walk away from the resurrected Jesus. And so you need to have a personal encounter with Jesus on your own. You can't marry into the faith. You're not born into the faith. You don't live in the faith community. Faith is developed like Thomas through an encounter with Jesus, an encounter by which you then surrender your life, an encounter that makes you go public that you get baptized, that you, you let the world know, I'm all in, I'm a follower of Jesus, I have met him. He has changed me. Baptism, this outward demonstration of an inward transformation, I'm a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm all in, and man, I'm letting everyone know I'm all in. A personal faith is the only genuine faith. Now, I want to come back close out our episode by talking about six ways that you can personalize your faith in Jesus. So don't go anywhere. Lots more with the Outlaw Radio Show. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but C316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. 
with over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. As is often the case, we get to the end of the show and I have so much more I want to talk about. And yet it's difficult to close it all out in the few minutes we have remaining. The importance of a personalized faith. It's the only type of faith that's real. A faith in Jesus demands a personal encounter. You have to accept what Jesus did on your behalf. You have to surrender your life to his. You've got to go public. You've got to let the world know. It has to be something people can see. You're hanging out with Jesus and he's rubbing off on you. And that's changing things. I mean, how do you keep your mouth shut when you've encountered the one person who was dead and is now raised to life again? I want to talk about, with the time we have remaining, six ways that you can personalize your faith. How this, your faith can move beyond the faith of your parents, some cultural thing, how you can own it. The first way you can personalize your faith is to read and study your Bible on your own. Scripture tells us there are many places, I wish I had more time to unpack it, where the person of Jesus manifests through his word. That Jesus is the written word, the word that took on flesh and dwelt among us. In fact, the Bible says that it's the word of God that's living and powerful. How is the word of God alive? Well, it's Jesus. It, it, it reveals to us Jesus. And so if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, then you need to relate to him the way that he established. That's through his words. His word. In fact, in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 19, when Jesus returns, he's riding a stallion, wicked thigh tattoo, and, and he's got this name, the word of God. And so if you want to have a personal faith, you need to read God's word. But you also need to study it. Not just read it, but study it. Wonderful Bible tools are available, free Bible tools to help you do this. Blueletterbible.org is a wonderful resource. Uh, Austin Precepts, wonderful website, free resources. EnduringWord.com, David Guzik, just a great place for you to open up a book and not just read it, but study it for yourself. Also, you need to develop, number two, a prayer life. Now, I'm not telling you you need to pray because likely even cultural Christians pray. Well, we pray, you know, before the meal. We pray... Um, before surgery, we pray before the ball game, we pray before uh, we go to bed at night. Um, we say all kinds of prayer, and, and more often than not, they're ritualistic. But even cultural Christians have a prayer that you know they incorporate prayer into their life. I'm talking about a, a life of prayer uh, where you, you pick up the phone and you're online all day with God, that it's, it's a constant outflowing of one's heart. This this communication with God. You're studying God's word and thus God is speaking to you, but you've just you've got an open dial where all day you're talking to the Lord. When you're in the car on the way uh, to work, you're talking uh, to the Lord. When you're in the shower, you're conversing with him all day long where it's not this, this pick up and drop off, but it's just, again, these first two points of reading and studying the word, developing a prayer life, it's describing an immersive lifestyle with Jesus. That's how you personalize your faith. Thirdly, you attend church faithfully. Like if you want to personalize your faith, go to church. D don't just go, but go often. You know, Calvary 316, people are probably sick of hearing me say it, but we don't have additional services beyond our Sunday morning. And the reason being is that we believe that if people would just make one and a half hours a week a priority to come to worship, to, to receive prayer if they need it, to study God's word in an in-depth expositional format, to take communion with one another. Like if you come to church, if you just give us one and a half hours a week, it's plenty not to, 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 to be your only interactions with God, but to supplement what should be occurring every single day. I, I saw a friend that recently tweeted, you know, that it's a travesty that churches are, are no longer having Sunday night services and midweek services, and that that's endemic of, you know, that people don't want to study God's word anymore. I, I kind of have a different view of, of seeing it, that, that sadly, we've had so many churches filling every night of the week with Bible studies 
yielding a culture of people that don't study the Bible on their own. It's not my job as a pastor to connect you to Jesus. It's my job as a pastor to supplement, to encourage your connection with Jesus. It's something you're immersed in on your own that then gets supplemented and encouraged, exhorted by coming to church. But again, you'll hear Christians that say, oh, you don't need church. You can be a Christian without church. Well, the problem is, is that the the church is Jesus's bride. It's the love of his life. So how in the world can you say you love Jesus if you don't also love the things that he does? So number three, faithfully attend church. So read and study your Bible, develop a prayer life, faithfully attend church. Here's number four, and and this is going to be a bit controversial. If you want to personalize your faith, commit to tithing. Now, why the word tithe implies 10%, finding its origins back in an exchange that Abraham has with Melchizedek. Never in the New Testament uh, do we find the word tithing. We find generosity as a biblical principle. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 10%, I think, is a great starting point, but it's not limited to that at all. Again, the idea of giving um, is that it, it's an expression of one's heart. Generosity is, is the natural response of a person that's really understanding God's grace. God has given me so much. I should in turn give to others that I should give to the church. Where your treasure is, there your heart. I own my wealth. My wealth doesn't own me. In fact, God owns all of it. I, I say Once I'll say it again. The decision to tithe isn't how much of your money you should give to God. It's how much of God's money you should leave in your wallet. But again, this is that personalizing of things. Again, reading and studying the Bible, the prayer life, it's immersing in this relationship, attending church faithfully. It's incorporating uh, this new atmosphere. Tithing, it's reconstituting of priorities. Number five, find a ministry outlet. Now, again, if there are opportunities at your church that you are attending, whether they need help uh, in the ushering ministry or in the sound ministry or Sunday school teachers, if there are a practical need uh, that you can, aside from the money you give, provide time and energy, and and if you can be part of the team, if you can be a, a contributor and not just a consumer when it comes to church life, man, go for it. That's an important thing. Look for opportunities. If they exist, maximize them. Make the sacrifices for them. We have some dear saints at Calvary 316 that from time to time needs will change and we'll be shuffling the deck and they're like, I don't care what I do. You just tell me, Zach, what needs to be done and I'm here to serve. But beyond that, you also need a ministry outlet outside of the church. Again, personalizing your faith. Whether it's mowing the elderly neighbor's yard down the street witnessing to the co-worker at work. Look for simple ways to minister, volunteering at a soup kitchen, ways to be a light and a witness. Healthy people, well, and I don't want to get too grotesque here, but, but you're healthy physically when there is an inflow and an outflow. You know what I mean? So often Christians get stale when there's an inflow, there's no outflow, and they get spiritually constipated. Again, I apologize for the expression. Finally, number six, be a friend to another Christian. If you want to personalize your faith, hang out with other Christians. I, I phrase this very particularly, be a friend, because so often, well, I don't have Christian friends. Why? Because you're a weirdo who's not friendly. You come to church, you're quiet, you leave early. Like, if you want friends, be one. It's simple. I need Christian friends. So instead of like, that church, they're not friendly, no one cares about me. It's, yes, because you're strange, man. And you're off-putting. Instead, be a friend. Be friendly. Get outside of your bubble. Personalize your faith like Thomas because there is no other faith. A genuine faith demands a personal encounter with Jesus. Well, we're out of time. You've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, tell your Christian radio station. Thank them that they had Outlaw Radio on in your community. Uh, You can go to our website, outlawradio.org. Our podcast is available, all the various ways that you can connect with us, email, Twitter, Facebook. Again, my name is Zach Adams. I hope you join me again this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.